All right, welcome to Touch Podcast. This is Ryan. This is Nate. And this is Shannon. And welcome back to episode 11 of season 2 of Touch Podcast. On this episode, did we rob a generation of their ability to trust themselves sexually? Will the California movement of women coming together to meditate on their genitals catch on in other places in the U.S.? We'll talk about giving sexually and contextually appropriate pastoral counsel around sex. Because we don't tell 15-year-olds the same thing we tell 51-year-olds. Keep listening as we continue our conversation from last week. Because to tell a woman that your sexual energies you know, aren't holy or not pure. I don't want you to cause me to stumble and fall. Don't wear anything that would, you know, cause me to lust after you, et cetera, et cetera. Like you are setting her up. It's like she's being programmed to be asexual. Don't be feminine. Don't be desirable. Don't have desires of your own. And then men wonder why they get into marriage with a woman who turns out to feel relatively frigid. Um, but the thing that stands out to me now that we're discussing the rose skit mm-hmm. is that term deflowered. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that if a woman is deflowered, you know, for a man, it's like he got it in more notches in his belt. Hooray, hooray. He's so masculine. But for a woman to be deflowered is just like so shameful. I, but I want to kind of turn that analogy on its head and just challenge men that you're calling your wife out or inviting her into a sacred feminine sexual exchange of energy is really inviting her to blossom. And I like that flowering analogy much better than the rose skit and much better than the concept of being deflowered. Every woman comes into a relationship as a bud and whether she withers or whether she's shredded or whether she blossoms into full bloom is determined a lot by how the guy treats her. Yeah. Yeah. And, and hearing another, another beat you guys hit together, which I thought was new to me as a guy was hearing guy, hearing you two talk about how, when you are deflowered, the rose is broken. Right. But what about putting the rose back together? And that description just hit me new. I, I didn't even think about that step. Um, and yeah, I mean, Ryan, would you have a thought about like, how did that hit you? Like, did, were, you, were you aware of that step? Or yeah, how did that thought stick with you? Well, no, we didn't. You know, I mean, in my sort of youth group, college, young adult, and I think this is common for a lot of people who went to more conservative churches, Without a way to really talk about sex, you you talk about abstinence and and in the framework of control and shame, and then you skip to we're not going to say anything else about it until you get married, and then we can talk about sex again. Um, there's no re- there's no constructive conversation in the middle about like like could you imagine a, a retreat for eighteen year old to twenty year old women where they talk about instead of being sort of an abstinence shame based kind of retreat it was a it would be a retreat where church leaders could gather with young women to talk about um and yeah as a man I shouldn't even be explaining this but I'm getting into my head um uh, a retreat where their sexuality is celebrated and any and they could process anything that they felt like 
any shame they might be having about their bodies or about their sexual behavior could be sort of reconstructed into an ethic that would empower them going forward and not in, go into some sort of secret vault where uh, they're not, they can't talk about it until, you know, except for girlfriends after a couple of glasses of wine 20 years later, right? That's what I'm trying to say. I think that's, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I think, I think, yeah, I think, t- tell me if, I, I think you're saying this. I'm, I'm going to say it in a completely different way, but if it emotionally hits you the same, all right. <laughs> okay. So I'm, I'm noticing there's a lot of women getting together and out in California for just retreats, focusing on their pussies and reconciling with their sexuality and self. And as a man, that that, that scares the hell out of me because what does that mean when women get together and talk about that? And so I have mixed feelings of either, you know, whatever that mystery is, is probably... I'm skipping that step of reassembling the the rose. I'm just skipping it. How is is that any different than men sitting around a campfire and passing around the cock stick and talk about how they feel about their penis? Mm. I, I should... I mean, you could, ar- you could argue that every gathering of men is about our penis. So, <laughs> so <laughs> for women true. to get together once in a while, it's not really a big deal. The fact that women are feeling the freedom to talk about their intimate anatomy and their nether regions oh, and uh, compare notes, I think that that is a, a healthy sign of how far we've come as a culture. Because historically, that has not been a, a subject that was ever discussed in any setting. But what you described, though, Ryan, about how wouldn't it be great if 18 to 20-year-old women could come together and just talk openly about sexuality uh, without the insinuation that you're, you, know, you have to save it or that you're probably not gonna or whatever, that just that being an, a side point. Just healthy, educational, informational, encouraging, uplifting weekend about how great sexuality is. That's what I tried to have my weekends be about when I was working with teenagers and college students. But I have to tell you about a particular time that it was really hard for me to swallow something that someone said to me. Um, whenever I did the rose skit, I would always follow that up with, even though it's not possible to put the puddles back on the rose physically, that we serve a God who is able to restore everything. And I talked about my testimony of having been a very promiscuous teenage girl, but then I married a man who was a virgin and that I felt as if because of the work that I did in the counseling office and in church and just in my own heart and in my relationship with God, I felt as if on my honeymoon night, there was nothing lost. And a father of one of the girls in that group pulled me aside and was very offended that I had said that there was nothing lost that he interpreted that as I was saying to them, there won't be any consequences. And that's not what I was saying. I was saying that God is in the business of restoration. And to say that we can't celebrate that because that might encourage the kids to go out and have sex before marriage, it was really offensive to me. Um, Why do we think that people are just so out of control? Why do we think that we can't just have an open, honest dialogue about healthy sexuality without the anxiety that they're going to run out and do it now. I think the chances of them running out and doing it would be greater in their ignorance than it would in their educated state. Yeah, well, and that the statistics bear that out, that kids who don't have a holistic 
sex education are more likely to engage in riskier sex, more likely to get pregnant, most more likely to get STDs, and that it doesn't, and that abstinence-only education doesn't extend doesn't decrease the number of partners or extend the yeah there it's, there's actually states where abstinence only education is the only approach in the school systems and those are the exact states that the pregnancy levels out of wedlock are are the highest i think mississippi and texas and anyway. i like to say something yeah. real quick because like shannon asked like why are we not having these conversations why are we so afraid of these conversations and i'm kind of going off the last episode when i say this but I know for me, I now realize the reason why I avoid these conversations is because it's very confronting. I think at some point I thought that by talking about, you know, the more I talk about sexuality, the more I would get sucked in to confront my own curiosities, which was my curiosities with another guy, right? I didn't know that, and I was ashamed of that, right? And so it was very confronting, and, and now that I know that was there because I needed to heal something because Shannon really helped me to hold that. Now that I know that that curiosity is actually pulling me towards healing, not towards hedonism. There you go. Not, not, right? That's, that's, that will keep me from, well, that's what's keeping me afraid of having these conversations. That, that's I a prime example that. of learning to face our fantasies or else they're going to bite us on the butt when we're trying to run away from them. It's facing yeah. what it is that we desire or what we, you know, think about that that's it's through facing it that the real healing comes. Sticking well, your head in the in the sand like an ostrich leaves your ass really vulnerable to attack. Oh. <laughs> Bill Staten would love that analogy. <laughs> that is that yeah, I was gonna say I love that image. I mean, it's an effective one, is what I'm trying to say. Well, and I, I think, Nathan, you're right. I, what I was going to say to add to that w was, you know, on the surface, we may feel like we're trying to protect someone by try by controlling their access to information or putting really strict controls on their behavior. But as 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 children mature into young adults and into adults, right, we need to be challenged with increasing levels of risk in our life and figure out developmentally that. You know, we can be in a sticky situation and make it through there and then and be stronger for it and learn to trust ourselves or else when we become adults, it will significantly limit our ability to be leaders in society because we won't be able to trust ourselves. And I think what happens a lot is that not just parents, but we, we project our own hidden fantasies onto other people. And we think, well, if, if they are giving the opportunity to act, they may act out what I secretly fantasize about, which we just talked in the last episode about that. Just because we have fantasy doesn't mean we're going to act on that. But I think that's part of that projection process where we project onto other people the bad behavior we secretly want to do. And then we worry that they're going to do that. And then, like we've talked about in other episodes, the fire, you know, look the fire will catch on and there'll just be orgies everywhere. I feel like what, which never happens. I feel like we're going, I honestly feel like what we're talking about right now. I think we're diffusing a bomb, man. I think we're just kind of like emotionally diffusing a bomb here for some, for some, some of us who've never examined. There, do I cut the red or the blue? Yeah. Red or the blue? <laughs> what do I cut Nathan? The red or the blue? Well, and, and 
may I just also interject, Nate, what you just said couldn't be more, or I'm sorry, Ryan, I, you'd think after all these months, I would get y'all's name straight by now. <laughs> <laughs> it's early, it's really early, and I'm in my closet. Um, <laughs> Now people are going to go to the Patreon site to see this video coming. Perfect. To see what clothes are hanging in my closet. This is what it really takes to do these, right? It's, hey, I, I am committed to my craft to make sure that the acoustics are just perfect. Um, but no, I really do want to emphasize that in the 15 plus years that I've been doing work with... Hey, this is Ryan. Shannon's mic drops right here. Um, but she explains the extensive work that she's done with individuals and couples on fantasy. Um, she doesn't do this, but I will. She uh, has written a book called The Fantasy Fallacy. She doesn't plug it, but I am right now. Um, and um, and then she, she goes on to talk about how the reality never lives up to the actual fantasy and that some fantasies are just that, just a fantasy, not intended to be acted out. Okay, back to what she's talking about. The, the idea that that's actually going to have the same impact on your mind and body as just the fantasy alone is absolutely crazy. And the best depiction of that whole concept is the movie Shame. Did y'all ever see Shame with Michael Fassbender? Uh-oh. It's an incredibly graphic movie. Uh, I mean, most people would say that it's porn, but it really does have a point. It, I would say that if it is porn, it's porn with a point. Um, and the actors are paid and are consensual and all that jazz, but it really just brings to life the whole concept of when you keep trying to act out your fantasies in search of satisfaction and fulfillment, you work in the opposite direction. And, um, and Archibald Hart wrote a book called Thrilled to Death, and it's really all about how um, acting out your fantasies leads to a state called anhedonia. It's based on the word hedonism, but anhedonia means you can't derive pleasure from it anymore. Hmm. And so I guess it's kind of like drugs where you, you do a little bit of crack and then you want meth and you know, like you, it's, it's like, it has to be progressive, but then not even that excites you anymore. Um, so yeah, I just can't encourage people enough to contain their fantasies in their head and channel all that energy with their partner rather than going and trying to act it out because it's going to lose its power. Huh. Wow. Huh. Yeah. For, for a moment, when, once, you started, once you started talking about the fantasies, my first, my first bodily reaction was, you're playing with Pandora's box, you witch. What are you doing? You know, but, but then you diffused it. Again, you diffused it and like, oh, okay, okay. So, so for you listeners out there. I thought you were going to tell me that your bodily response to the conversation around fantasies was schwing (laughs) i think before guys get there though i think before we can get to the schwing there are some of us who've really indoctrinated ourselves where you know i mean we we just don't get a schwing we don't get aroused we we don't get it up and and shame can come in that concrete form where it's you know we that's why I first went when I was like, you know, you're playing with Pandora's box, right? It was just so much fear. Um, but, you know, again, I just listening to you, listening to what you're saying, it diffused it like a bomb. And now, you know, I'm a different place. So, so if you listeners out there, if you're like at that 10 state, just hearing it, it, it's because it's real stuff. It's okay to feel tense. And when I'm 
allowing spaces for stuff like this between the three of us. It's allowing spaces for you guys to diffuse yourselves because sexuality is this potent and it is this hard to talk about. Um, but it can be fun and, and graceful too. Um, and we can be led through. And, and living we, in the tension is exhilarating. Yeah. Yeah, and we have a, we have a show on the schedule uh, about fantasy and fetishes. So we will... Yeah, we'll come back to it and go go more in depth about. Yeah. Speaking of, well, I don't know. How I'm going to make this transition. I'm going to say speaking of in depth, and then say something completely different, and I don't even know how it's going to relate. But um, I'm just really excited to talk about this other thing that um, Angie and Chan talked about. Also, um, how um, how Reverend Angie, her opinion changed when she was giving counsel to a friend who was 50. And versus how she would give this counsel to a teenager. Like, I thought that conversation was really interesting. I mean, um, I mean, Shannon, how can you relate to this? I mean, being a woman, you're essentially a woman minister yourself, right? So how does that, how does that connect with you? I, I love that she was able to admit that she couldn't ascribe the exact same prescription. Um, and that she gave this 50-year-old woman the um, respect and dignity of treating her like a 50 year old, not a 15 year old. Uh -huh. um, it actually reminds me of a conversation that um, a well-intending colleague tried to have with me shortly after my divorce. Um, when I started dating again, uh, this person brought up the concept of bases and said, I can't believe that we're about to have a conversation about like first, second and third base. And I just interrupted and said, we're not, we're not going to have a conversation about bases because I'm almost 50 years old and this is none of your business. And this is like, how did you, where do you get off thinking that was you this? have the right to this information? What, tell, please tell me this was not a male colleague. It was a male colleague. Oh my gosh. Now that that's like the perfect <laughs> illustration of what we've just been talking about about how men men's desire to or need to control women's sexuality and yeah. how our our yes. unconscious fantasies and fears are projected onto the women in our life and it's like oh my gosh As yeah I, I was incredibly shocked offended uh yeah i could go on and on and it's like wait a minute you're not my accountability partner you're not my counselor you're not my pastor you're in and i actually said you're not my dad so yeah we're colleagues <laughs> i you're not my dad and i'm not your daughter and i'm not 15 and no we're not going to have a conversation about bases it's just ridiculous um yeah so i just really appreciated angie's maturity with how she treated that 50 year old in her journey um because yeah, we're we're not teenagers anymore. Well, and yeah, I, I want to point out that um, on the surface, that person probably felt like that was coming from a good place. And so what I and what I'm saying about the unconscious, the projection is that each person who says that feels like in the moment that's coming from a good place, but underneath that there are these other things going on, right? That they're trying to work out their own anxiety about sex and. And the way they do that is by trying to control another person. And that always, well, that'll always backfire in relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I think the only control that we can ever truly exert is self-control. Yeah. We can never control another person's sexual journey. 
everybody's sexual journey is uniquely their own. I'm I'm just I'm just remembering that emotional beat of being in love with someone and you know kind of walking on the glass of feeling the need to know what they've done you know um what they haven't done what you know it's it it just mattered you know mm. whether that beat was spoken out awkwardly or if it was just kind of kept <laughs> quietly and never acted out on i feel like a lot of us guys we've had it at some point and hmm yeah thanks ryan for speaking into that stuff well i think that's common and like in your 20s and you're getting serious with someone and you're like and you start getting curious about what all what all sexually what all has the other person done and and maybe that's an appropriate conversation or maybe it's not but that comes from a place of insecurity you know the, that that desire it's not about what's the most loving way I can be mutual with this other person. It's like, does this person have something up on, like, is there a one up? It's sort of a one up kind of thing. And yeah, but I remember that completely and feeling like I had to confess everything to my wife. Like when we started getting serious, well, you should know when I was 16, I did this. And then like, like my junior year, I tried this other thing. And then in my senior, you know, and then, you know, going play by play. And it's like, no, you don't need to spill all that. That's I get it. Yeah, you're more experienced than me. All right, let's move on. You know. <laughs> I see Nate and I find that so laughable in this season of our lives. Like as we've moved on, and Dave is like, can you imagine getting hung up on what someone did when they were 15 or even 20 or 25? Like, yeah, it's just yeah. it's so not a part of the equation. The older you get, the more yeah, wisdom yeah. and discernment that you get, and the less important mm-hmm. the details. I think the question should be: Has has anyone ever paid you for sex? I'd like to know about that. And if I could, I find you having sex on the internet with somebody. If the answer to the if the answer to those is no, then just move on. If the answer is yes, then one more conversation you should have. But other than that, it seems like what, what was the first cut? Co- what was the first question? The first question was, um, has anyone ever paid you for sex? Like that's worth that's worth an additional conversation if that's yes. But I think otherwise. <laughs> yeah, and that's what that's what I really loved about the conversation we just had with well, you just had with Angie, Reverend Angie, is. You know, when we're thinking about all these things about ethics and and relationship and, you know, figuring this out with yourself is already a tremendous amount of work, right? And then finding a match for you, all of a sudden it becomes doubled, right? The effort to to manage all this. So, So when you guys both talked about the definition, well, when Angie said how the word covenant, how marriage is a covenant, um how that is a new word that she's that she's holding on to well, not a new word but she's just really appreciating that word right now during this sexual culture um to me that spoke a lot because that covenant and relationship relationship became that place to explore all of these ethics to explore all of these things um and it it doesn't have to be in a steadfast rules that you believed in you know um as a as a i don't know before you you can simply agree between your partner have that agreement between you two whatever that covenant is that that actually allows spaciousness somehow to to explore and and reconcile um 
Yeah, I thought that was really beautiful. Yeah, powerful concept. What did you think about her distaste for the expression biblical view of marriage? Oh my gosh, that was really fantastic. Okay, I am geeking out over this because I've always thought about this too. Like, why is it okay for Solomon to have all these concubines? And and he's one of the he was the one that had the biblical wisdom, right? Like, how does that fit in? And and all of a sudden, you know, sex before marriage that is you know, uh, that is the issue that's preached about and, and that my standard app lived to, it's, that hit me really hard. Yeah. When we look at the various types of marriages that took place in the Bible, uh, yeah, you can't say that they're just really stellar shining examples of what Joshua Harris would have talked about in Ica's Dating Goodbye. Um, yeah, I mean, like yeah. the prime example that comes to my mind is David and Bathsheba was a result of adultery and murder, and then they're together, and then it's all okay. It's like it's, all, it's, all it's, it's not. It's a description. It's not a prescription. It's not. Yeah, it, it's not telling people how they should live. It's just showing that God redeems even the worst of our humanity and makes something beautiful out of it because that's the yeah. kind of God that we serve. Yeah. Um, so what y'all think about Angie's idea oh, that yeah, there needs absolutely. to be a whole new approach to sex education, starting with kids? <laughs> well, we're we're raising kids that, uh, yeah, I completely agree with that. I think knowledge is power. Um, I want my kids to be completely empowered. You know, they know the right names for things. They know what the boys and, you know, the difference between boys and girls. And um, uh, we're, we're definitely... Um, and, it, you know, we have, you know, I think the, the practice is when your child comes to you and they have a question, you answer it truthfully. Like, tell your kids the truth. Don't over explain, but tell them what and then answer the question. Then you ask them, do you have another question about that? And then they ask, you know, so they can ask another question. And, you know, after a couple of those, they'll be like, OK, no, I'm fine. They'll go off and go play with Legos and stuff. Um, and that's that's a that is pretty close to what was modeled in my home. But I know that in, in many homes question, you know, questions about sex were, you know, the kids were shamed by having questions about sex. And that's, that's really unfortunate. Uh, Cause that sets. Or you were given that famous line, go ask your father, go ask your mother. Uh (laughs) It's like, go ask the other parent. I don't want to deal with it. Go ask Sesame Street. Yeah, no, we need, we need, and, you know, and I think the church, the church needs to be an open place where adults and children can, and a safe place where adults and children can, can talk about sex. I don't think that every conversation needs to happen in the church building, but need, but the church should be helping and encouraging the facilitation in homes of a very, very open and honest and healthy and wholesome conversation about bodies and you know age appropriately as as kids mature for sure Um, i think that this podcast goes a long way in helping re-educate the parents so that they can educate the children in a healthier way than we were educated or not and speaking of sex education for kids on the next episode we will speak with therapist and faculty member at the garland school of social work at baylor university leanne gardner about sex education in the home and at church Um, You can follow us on the Instagrams and on the Twitters at touch underscore cast. Find us on Facebook. You can go to our website, touchpodcast.com. Listen to uh, all of our episodes, even from season one. 
uh, read essays, see videos, and interact with me or Nate or Shannon. This has been Touch Podcast. I'm Nate Novero. This is Ryan Clark. And I am Shannon Etheridge, and we love you for listening.